once I quit putting pressure on myself, like everything was this, I'm so important. And when I, once I go to the fear of losing, okay. And that's about the same time I made my little adjustment on making an impact on players. Once I go to the fear of losing to me, that before maybe it filtered to the players, they may have got that too for me. And uh, when you don't have that fear of losing, then you don't mind going ahead. If you need to make a, an adjustment during a game, hey, I'm, I'm good with it because the worst thing can happen is we lose the game. Welcome to the Jamoti Podcast. We are all surrounded by amazing coaches and leaders. So let's get an inside look at not just what they do, but how they do what they do. After all, becoming the best versions of ourselves is Jamoti, just a matter of doing it. Today, we're joined by the former head girls basketball coach at Canyon High School, Joe Lombard. After 42 years of coaching, Coach Lombard finished with 1,379 wins and only 133 losses. He won 1,000 games before losing 100 games. He led Nazareth and Canyon High Schools to 18 state championships. His teams qualified for playoffs all 42 seasons, were district champions 39 times, and made 40 regional appearances and finished with an undefeated record four times. Coach Lombard received the 2015 Morgan Wooten Special Achievement Award from Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame. He's a three-time National Coach of the Year and has been inducted into eight different Hall of Fames. Before we hear from Coach, take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media at Jamoni Podcast. How are you? Hey, I'm is not a strength, so... Uh, <laughs> well, Coach... You you beat me to the interview, so I think you you did pretty good. <laughs> well, hey, it's an honor to be with you. Pleasure, oh, coach. Coach, the honor is mine. I just want to first thank you so much for giving up your time coming on talking hoops with me. This is this is incredible. <laughs> well, you do a great job, and uh, I uh, I've seen a little touch of your podcast and. Tate was telling me Broadhurst was on the other day. He was he was great to talk to, and he's a longtime friend. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's funny is sometimes after we have these talks, I I ask people, you know, who do you think, or what are some names that you feel like I should have on? And Coach, yours has come up so many times, and so I'm so glad we could make it work out. Well, you know, I'm on that edge of almost a has been, <laughs> you know, Matt, because. Uh, it's been uh, three years since I coached, uh, but <laughs> I uh, I still love the game. So I uh, yeah. hope I can give you something that you like today, and uh, hope it hope it's good for you. Hope it's good stuff. Uh, how how is retirement treating you? Now I know you're helping your son out, which is yeah. really cool. Yeah. I wonder I wonder how he feels about having uh, you know roughly thirteen hundred wins, almost fourteen hundred wins on the sideline <laughs> with him, but. <laughs> Well, I, I think there's some times where he's thinking, Dad, quit giving me all these ideas. Because, <laughs> you know, it's real easy to give ideas when you're an assistant coach. Hey. Yeah, try <laughs> this. Gonna, yeah, see what happens yeah, here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, I was going to tell you that uh, I haven't read your book, but I uh, saw, uh, you know, you'd written that book, and Tate said he played against you that very next year. He was at Midwestern. Okay. Midwestern played Baylor, I guess the year after all that went down. And so uh anyway, small world. That is. Yeah, he uh he uh said they played the Baylor Bears, man, that next year or whenever you guys 
don't know if it's a renegade schedule or something, but uh, so the the year my senior year we did play the full schedule, but we only had six scholarship players and not a lot, you know, not a lot of talent in the locker room. Coach Drew's first year, his second year, they actually only played half of a of a schedule they they weren't allowed to play conference play so it was only the pre-conference and that might have been that year right okay. there yeah maybe so maybe but, so. But really yeah. close really close to crossing over I, yeah. I would thank you for for mentioning you know that in in my book so i love to return the favor more than a coach uh if you don't mind tell me a little bit about your story well i don't know if you can see that but, yeah uh, yeah <laughs> During COVID, right after I retired, um, John Mark Blue and I collaborated and wrote this book, More Than a Coach. And uh, so uh, it's about my life, but it's about uh, a lot of other things. It's about my the career, and he pretty much almost went season by season. But uh, the reason I wrote this book, well, there's several reasons, but one was to show other coaches uh, – just the ups and downs of coaching. Hmm. Uh, blessed to win a lot of games and state titles, but there was so much uh, heartbreak and all that stuff that's just the opposite of all those neat things that happened. I wanted other people to see that because there was a lot of heartbreak, a lot of frustration, you know, as you go through your coaching career. And so you have to be able to handle that and uh, deal with that kind of thing on a daily basis, sometimes if you just go from practice to practice. And uh, then I wrote the book to uh, just to honor my former players and, um, you know, people that were in my life, you know, as we went through that 42 years of, uh, you know, ups and downs and trials and errors and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was fun. We, we met John Mark was a former sports editor of the Emerald Globe News and, uh, has won a lot of writing awards and he, uh, man, he, he does a great job. And, uh, we had saved, uh, information, scrapbooks and things where he could go blow by blow if he wanted to on a close game, play by play, what happened next, if he wanted to do that sort of thing. But when we went through those scrapbooks and all the stories come out for me, oh, yeah. I remember when that kid was on the team and I remember this happening. And uh, so uh, so we met every day, or excuse me, we met twice a week for a full year, an hour and a half at a time. Wow. So yeah. we met a lot. And uh, there's 400 pages in this book, I'm sorry to say, but I couldn't get him to cut any of that, other, any of that stuff out. Coach, when you think about 42 years, though, 400 pages isn't that much. Like you- <laughs> well, when you look at, uh, you know, that thing is thick. and uh, But uh, we put in there things that uh, uh, coaching things, uh, coaching information. My, uh, I ranked our teams. I didn't rank our players. I ranked our teams, but I did rank the opposing teams players from other teams through the yeah. years that we played against. Uh, Interesting. I had a thing, he wanted me to do a thing, 42 things I learned a, along the way that were f- worth 42 years. And it's amazing sometimes how, uh, like I woke up one morning early, it's almost like uh, God was talking to me. And I had 
28 of those things in 10 minutes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, so there's a lot of that stuff. We, we've got some scripture in there to go along that goes along with the chapters and uh, uh, got a few pictures. And uh, but uh, anyway, so during COVID, <laughs> that's when we did that all. And hey, at one time, <laughs> I was wearing a mask. I said, I don't want to do anything to makes our team ineligible here, John Marks. So I'll wear a mask. <laughs> and I look back and I, oh gosh. Uh, but <laughs> well, first of all, uh, can't wait to read it. Like I'm going to, after we get off this call, I'm going to order it. So uh, I can't wait because what's interesting, I think you said like people, coaches that have won a lot of games, not many have won as many as you or had as long as of a career as you, but a lot of people have written their stories. And I think sometimes it is more just a summary or it's the highlights. You know, they go through all those good times when you talked about really discussing the down times, because that is, I mean, even though I've only, this is my 11th year as a head coach, 17th year overall. And my, my teams are just behind me here on on my, on the wall here, but you know, Y'all, thanks. I actually took it from (laughs) Coach Broadhurst. He has 35 of those sitting behind him. So I was like, that's a pretty cool idea. But, you know, when I look back at that wall right there, yeah, there's some amazing moments. But, Coach, my eyes and my mind go to some of the failures and some of the – or what I thought or felt like were failures or ways that – the difficult times. And I don't know. I I guess from – listen to you already it sounds like those things don't really go away that they stay with you you uh, for a long time you remember the losses more than the wins and uh you know we were you know the pressure i put on myself but we were trying to win a state title every year and uh in public schools that's not an easy thing to do because there's so many schools i mean yeah. usually you have 250 in your classification and so uh so you have that little bit of stress. I mean, it it, it sharpens the saw, but it also is a stress thing. And, and so yeah. I had to deal with that all the time. And so convincing myself we weren't a failure just because we didn't quite win at all. And uh, and I pointed, or I think we pointed out in the book where we won we won nineteen state titles, but we could have won thirty because there was there was. Uh, 12 or 13 games, we lost to the state champion by three or four points or less. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's a bad the- shot. That's one bad shot a quarter right there. That's all <laughs> that's that right. is. That's one, that's all, that's one all bad that. call by me. Yeah. Or, uh, <laughs> you know. And, uh, but you, you know, you can't look at that. I mean, it's just, uh, crazy to, to think about, but I'm so grateful I got to coach and, uh, and, um, uh, uh, make a little bit of an impact along the way. So I'm glad a lot, that. A, a lot of impact, a lot of impact. And <laughs> I would imagine though, too, you probably had to have those discussions with the players on those winning seasons or losing seasons, because like for a school like mine, we, we've made at five, eight taps, which to your point, it's right. Public school or UIL way harder to get deeper than it is in taps. Our tournament is smaller. We are, there's less schools, so we've got a better chance. We've made the final four twice in my ten years. 
that's it's been really hard to do, hard to achieve, hard to get there and replicate. Yeah. So those years, even though we haven't won at all, like coach, we felt pretty good about oh, what yeah. we did that season. But when that's when the expectations are so high, like they were for your teams, I would imagine like we want you've won it a few years. A team gets there and loses it. How did you walk them through that? To where, li- listen, I get, you're you're not a failure just because we didn't do what we set out to do. How did you do that? Yeah, well, you know, one thing, you know, there are so many great coaches out there, Matt. That uh, I think there are better coaches than I was that never won one. And uh, so, you know, you you know, once you go through this, you you kind of wish everybody could win one. You know, just to get that monkey off your back. But, I, you know, people look at the college thing and, uh, I mean, how many great coaches, that, you know, I mean, everybody knows in college that, gosh, haven't won one or been to the Final Four and they're great coaches. Yeah. And, uh, how do we judge what a great job they do with their kids? You know, we're, we're not right there behind the scenes. And uh, so, but with my players, I, we just tried to do the best we could every year. And I said, I just want, I just want to help you become the best you can possibly become. And uh, if that's good enough to win the whole thing, awesome. But we didn't, we didn't really talk about state titles. We just kind of went day to day. And my journey in coaching was, uh, I never had a goal of uh, coaching at Notre Dame or, or uh, you know, a couple times thought, well, I want to. When I went to a boys state championship. I think I'd like to do that. So I dabbled two years in the, in that. Uh, but that 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 wasn't the thing either I was searching for. I was just I was just enjoying life and taking everything one year at a time and just making this team the best I could, help it to become. And then, hey girls, at the end of the year, hey, you you did a great job. You were you were you were awesome. You were into me. Co- you were coachable. You're into what we were trying to do. You had a great team culture. You treat others the right way. I mean, there's don't listen to the noise that uh, we lost one game by yeah. two, and let that be your defining moment because uh, that's not what it's all about. So, uh, of course, I had to tell myself that too. I was just talking to the players, uh, but yeah, I'm grateful I got to do. You know, Matt, before I went into coaching, I was, my thing was I wanted to go into business world and make money. You know, that's how I started out. That was my story. And then I got a calling, like, it wasn't quite like Paul in the Bible, but it was, man, it was strong. If you saw a bright light and were <laughs> blinded, then that's, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah. Well, my wife, we, we had just married. My wife was coaching. And so I just... I wanted to be at the gym every day helping her. And uh, she coached at Hale Center, uh, which was a 2A school. We were living in Hale Center, and, uh, and it took me two years before I finally went into coaching. And then uh, Matt, my first year of coaching, her last year to coach, we both won the same the state title the same year. That's cool. So that was one of those highlights. What a way for her to go out and me to go in. <laughs> yeah. We started, we had our two kids. We had Lindy, our daughter, first. And uh, she was born that next year after Babs won state in uh, 79. Lindy was born in 80. And then Tate was born in 83. But uh, 
that was uh, said, Babs, we can't both coach and have have a family and do it right, you know. And and so uh, thankfully, she was the one that, uh, hey, I won't, I don't need to coach. I'll just uh, wow. teach. And uh, so we have uh, obviously uh, lived a great life and spent a lot of fun. You know, and you have two coaches, and you're in both in education. What a yeah, that is just uh, an awesome way to live life. And uh, so I'm grateful I got to do that, be part of that. And the good Lord led me to that thing rather than chasing the uh, the dream of making a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. The Jamoti Podcast is powered by Sideline Interactive. Sideline Interactive is the leading manufacturer for high-quality, innovative scoring tables and LED video display boards that help coaches and schools bring more excitement to fans, create huge fundraising opportunities, and make their jobs easier. Visit sidelineinteractive.com to check out their amazing products. I, I think normally when I ask this question about picking three characteristics that great coaches possess or a way to describe them, I think guys would kind of be talking about you or coaches like you. But in your opinion, all the people that you've been able to be around and work with, go to clinics and observe, or maybe just from your own experience, what are three characteristics that great coaches have? Yeah. Yeah. And there's there's hundreds. <laughs> sure, um, trying to get to three. Yeah, <laughs> trying to get. So I had these. I had these three on my board for many many years. I got them from stole them from somebody else, and then Tate still has these three on the board. But number one, we put down is love your players. You know, you it's so easy to not like your players when they can't quite do what you want them to do, and whether it's my fault or their fault, but love your players. Uh, if you do, you're going to get great feedback. Uh, number two is make each day your masterpiece. Do you know Matt who said that? That's Coach Wooden, right? John Wooden. Yeah. And so uh, I think what you do with your workout plan is huge. And I, I always love doing that thing, the planning part of it, until right there, maybe toward the last season, when I fell out of love of planning that stuff. And then, then that's when I knew eh, maybe it's time that yeah. somebody else can do this thing because planning the workout is huge. And uh, I love that minute by minute detail thing. And, you know, some people talk about they spent more time playing the workout than actually running the workout. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> But making it a masterpiece, and and I and that's taking care of what you need to take care of, and then the kids get a fulfillment out of it. Uh, I don't know if joy is the right word, but they they have fun with that. But yet, the part of that fun is they're just getting better. Yeah. Okay. So, and the number three uh, is balance in your life as a coach. Uh, you just. You get so you can get so wrapped up into wins and losses, and um, that make sure you. And I want to go to this later on in another question, but make sure you have balance in your life, and that you're doing what you need to do off the court as well as on. So taking care of your family and uh, let's go right into that, Coach, because I think I I would like to. You you nailed it right there with balancing coaching and your and your life and how difficult that is for so many coaches me included where you know my my do am I the kind of guy where my attitude is all about the the win and loss column or the way that we execute it yeah. or 
So yeah, if you don't mind, go right into that. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, my, my, uh, three things that, uh, no, that was characteristic of a great coach. Sure. I don't know if this is three things you've seen this, this, this is my priorities or my priorities, uh, year in, year out was God is first family is second and your career or basketball is third. And those things are all intertwined. I mean, they're right there in mixed in, but you have to have those priorities in order. It's for me personally to have a long career and I have one that's full of joy and many friends. And, um, you know, some of my top rivals were my best friends, you know, and uh, so to have that, you have to have God first and, and, and then you got to, take those things you learn from the Lord and uh, raise a family and uh, treat your wife the right way. And uh, uh, so you got to take care of that. That's got to be number two. And then number three can be your career. And a lot of us men and women are so driven that a lot of times you put number three first and then things start to go bad. And so anyway, priorities in life, uh, that, I mean, you can talk about that as long as you want, but yeah, for me and I, you know, where I got that Morgan Wooten, hmm. when I was reading back, when I first started my career, I was reading, uh, I think the first book I ever read is Bob Cousy. And then I read Dean Smith and I wrote, I read Morgan Wooten in there somewhere. And, uh, and when I, uh, I received a Morgan Wooten award in, uh, Chicago one year, and he was at that presentation and I took that book. I said, you know, God first, family second. I said, Coach Wooten, this is what I got most out of your book. Wow. And so you that made a huge impact on me. And so that is when I go speak at clinics, that is my number one message. So don't overlook those things. So simple, but yet so important on your how you treat kids, how you treat others, and how you live your life. So anyway. You know, it's such a great, such a great point of whether it's coaching or any career, I think we're guilty of at times. If I can just get this part good, then my family life will get good. I'll start going to church again. I'll start reading my Bible again. I'll get, and it's just completely backwards. You know, the, the best times in my life and the times where I have the most clarity in my mission, my purpose is when I'm in the word. So I'm hearing his voice and then I'm prioritizing my wife. Jana feels like she's more important than basketball. And then I've got the rest of the time to, pour into these guys but like keep it where it's supposed to be but you had a a small little nugget you said they are blended together yeah and i think the idea that you've got to strictly separate them that's going to be hard when you're all in like you are oh you know just like you matt i you know i want my players to know that i'm a christian and uh but hey we're in this thing we're going to be as good as we can be and we're going to win. We're going to, we're going to do our very best to uh, win a state championship or whatever, but here's my priorities alive. And here's how we're going to go about doing it. And I can't remember the name of that book. Do you ever read that book? It was about a high school boys coach in Kentucky. Maybe I think it was a fictional book, but he had his, 
he had his priorities backwards and he had so much pressure on being successful that the family fell. He lost his, his faith fell behind. And well, the guy that set him straight in this book was the school custodian. He called him into his office one time. Do you know that book? I'm, I can't remember the name of that book, but it went right hand in hand with what we're talking about. And so it's neat to, uh, See that? <laughs> I feel like it. I feel like it sounds like a John Gordon book. I feel like that's something that he John would Gordon. do. It but... John Gordon, but, it was <laughs> but you could see him doing something like that for oh, sure. Yeah. I love uh, that. Snake, uh, yeah, I do want to go back to so the the your three things, especially the first two. You know, loving your players, and I, I do like you that you mentioned a little bit of the difference between love and like, and and and. I think the reminder for me is do I look back on a team or a season more fondly because they won or they executed and and the opposite of, I look back with uh, not disgust, but less pleasure in the overall experience because we didn't win as much or can, can we get beyond that by I think having the approach of loving them and then really setting those expectations of were they coachable were they great teammates did they uh exceed expectations or 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 that dreaded word coach that dreaded word word potential (laughs) but when you when you maximize that like i I don't know i think that that helps when you're actually focused on loving them and not teeter-tottering back and forth with like yeah. Well, hey, if I skip ahead to a question, let me go right into that right here. Do it. Coach, this is, this is, yeah, yeah. But when you love your players, or your players sense that, or they sense that you like them, maybe the word like, or they know that you respect them, you're going to get their best back from them. But my experience is if, if there is something in there where there's, it, that's not jiving and they, they flat don't like you. You're not going to get their best from you, and your your culture is going to suffer. And uh, so it's not like Matt, like, hey girls, I love you every day. It wasn't necessarily like that, but it's the way I treated them, and the way in in my mind. I mean, I wasn't. I you could be mad at them all the time, and I and I was some. I have to admit, but. <laughs> The overriding thing was, no, I'm really in this with them, and I want to, you know, I want to put in there where I can help them best I can. And so it's about the players. Yeah. Really, then it's about the team more than it is about the players. And so you're trying to get the kids to buy into that. Hey, Susie, it's not so much about you, but it's about the team. And what can you do to help our team be better and more enjoyable and those kind of things? And so I would talk to players about that kind of stuff and uh, be pretty open-minded. They uh, they knew because I if I if I had something on my mind that I thought was important, I definitely would talk to them about it. And I think they really respected that, and it would carry over to the basketball court. I say, hey, what do you think on post defense here? Do you want to do you want to change in front or change behind? And uh, or how do you want to guard this screen? And we're going to do it the way you think. And uh, and so really, you know, there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat in coaching. And so sometimes we do it the way the players want to do it. And uh, 
Not always. And uh, sure. I was pretty strict. And, you know, when I grew up in an era where you had Bobby Knight and those type of, it wasn't just Bobby Knight, it was all the coaches back then. That was, and that's how I grew up. That military background in. in A little yeah. bit, yeah. And so I had to, uh, had to watch myself because I didn't, you know, not that I wouldn't throw a kid out of practice. I mean, I, I that's on our list in our notebook, but that we can do that. But that wasn't the object. The object was, hey, let's buy in from the very get go, and uh, let's buy everybody buy in. We're all in this for the same purpose of in having an enjoyable season and help us be the best we can become. And and so that love your players was an overriding factor. And, you get the best out of them if they feel that from the coach. They're, yeah, it may not be love may may not be the word. It may be that the coach has an interest in your life, not just basketball. Basketball is ninety percent of it, but it's that other ten percent they want to know about. I would argue if you're constantly having to use the word love to show them how much you love them or reinforce it. I don't know. You might be missing out on a lot of opportunities. I mean, Manawatsa says more is caught than taught. And we want them just catching or feeling that 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 appreciation, the fact that we are proud to have them on the bus with us. And but I think that the more it's just like discipline, the more that you have to say how disciplined you are. You yeah. might not be that discipline or the culture. You might more you yeah. talk about it, that word, you more you use it. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> you know, coach, I love, uh, go ahead, go ahead. I'm just saying again, for all the coaches out there, uh, we don't have to go home frustrated night after night because something went bad in practice. I mean, Hey, let's, let's get it taken care of. Let's work on it, have it ready for the next day. And, and, but go home and love your family and enjoy that time together because you go home at six o'clock at night and those kids, you have young kids, they're not going to be up that much longer. So yeah, those uh, two or three hours, man, you do put everything into them just like you do your team. Maybe when everybody goes to bed, then I turn on and watch some film or something at night. Just and, to help uh, you fall asleep. Cause I, <laughs> I've always felt if there is something kind of running in my head, then I need, I, I do try to finish that thought or f- personally feel like uh, I have a really good plan, but I think you just nailed something too, as we have to remember that it's a process. I know that word gets used a lot, just like culture does. But if you're, if you understand that every practice is a part of that brick wall that you're trying to perfectly form throughout the season, that doesn't mean that every brick goes in easily. Sometimes you you don't get all the work done that day, but then Instead of being frustrated, like you said, the beauty is until you lose or or like you win it all, then it's over. You have another opportunity. So I think it's that to me has helped me stay more sane of when a practice is is done. And golly, I just don't feel like we're where we're supposed to be. Good news, fellas. And like you said before, you talk to them about those ideas in your head. Listen, you know, today I didn't think we're as sharp in this area as possible, but tomorrow we'll dedicate a little bit more time. You let them off the hook, you let yourself off the hook, and you go home and and breathe. And but I, I think you nailed it there. Yeah. Well, I, hey, I have I know you have a lot of things to talk about, but no, you're good. And that thing, I, I tell you, if coaches can just get that, and uh, 
that's a huge thing. That's better than maybe any offense you can run or whatever. I mean, just understand. Don't beat yourself up. You know, you talk about they talk about mental health a lot of times nowadays, and uh, uh, just learn from your mistakes and don't don't beat yourself up because we're all going to make mistakes. The very best. You know, talking about books, um, Seth Davis wrote a book on John Wooden, the most recent one. I read through that, and it went season by season, and every season there was frustration for John Wooden. Hmm. And so that book was thicker than mine. He <laughs> <laughs> coached a long time, and his, I think his only losing season maybe was his first year coaching high school ball, and then he played coach college after that. But even the great teams, when he went through that great run and won all those national titles, there was crap every year. Hmm. And so it, that encouraged me, inspired me that, hey, even the greatest coach, the greatest program, there was stuff and like we're going through here. And anyway, uh, that was good. So I wanted to make sure that came out in our book. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, and, and what a great point. I mean, we're constantly talking to our players about uh, not comparing uh, to others. You know, comparison is the thief of all joy. But I don't know, coach, I find myself comparing to other coaches, you know, it's social media or <laughs> all these things like everybody's just putting their best self out there. Like nobody's talking about the horrible practice or the, the, <laughs> the, the parent email they just got. Nobody's airing that. So you can fall into this, this trap of thinking that God, it's only you, you're yeah. the only one. And then thankfully guys like you are, you know, and then, and anytime I, you know, you mentioned those relationships that you had with, the, your your biggest uh, rivals or, or nemesis in coaching, but I think it is important for us to have those relationships, share those tough times that you're going through, because what you'll realize is that even a guy with 1,400 wins and 19 cha state championships had those moments, even John Wooden had those moments, so you know what? Uh, that as a head coach, a great a five A tap school that not many people care about. Like you know, the grand scheme of things, is it? It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Hey, do the best you can and try to plan and prepare as well as you can. Yeah. And, uh, try to keep it simple, but then uh, you know, get those kids, get those kids to execute. And I mean, that's why you practice. Yeah. And I, I have to admit, I love practice. I had that plan I've been working on. And I just love practice. And so, and we had some bad workouts along the way, obviously, with all the work. In fact, in my situation, all my teams, we had fourth period athletics, Matt. So we had a 45-minute workout then. And then we went after school when the season was in in the season, you know. So we went for another hour and a half. And so did you like that? I did, but you just you just have to be careful you don't wear them down. Yeah. I liked it a lot because we could uh, fundamentals during the period and then after school is all my team stuff, basically. We'll talk about that maybe a little bit more here in detail, but I love that because we could do skill development. Of course, back then it was, just, it was called fundamentals and yeah. now uh, we've taken it to a little skill different of Individual skill development. Skill yeah. development. Yeah. yeah, but, but uh, you, you know, know, it's funny you said that because I don't, 
there's not a lot of athletic periods out there that I hear normally it's first or eighth or, you know, beginning or end of the day at faith, we're second period. And and there's a lot, sometimes when I say that to coaches, like, oh man, that sucks. Like yeah. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta worry about getting them showered and off and stuff. Yeah. But you know what, what it's done for me, it sounds like it did for you too. Without realizing it, a lot of coaches start to take away from the fundamentals and the individual skill development because they're stacking together all this team stuff and they're trying to get it all done at the same time. And I would probably be guilty of that too. Let's just say I break practice into four quarters. In the first quarter, it time-wise, is fundamentals. Well, we got so many things to prepare for. Let's just take a little bit of that time away. For us and probably for you the same way, we get 43 minutes every day and all year long, that is individual skill work. Our guys. So when I tell players, parents that playing time, I can't guarantee you that any of you that, but I can guarantee that I'll train you every day and you'll get better. I can say that because they will have that time. I, I just, it's interesting to hear you say that you you had something similar. You know, along that line, Matt, uh, back early in my career, I scouted. I knew everything that every player on the opposing team was going to do. And I let my players know that. <laughs> I mean, you, girls, you got a coach here that studied. And, well, hey, that was way too much information to give your players. Okay? So what I started doing about – I don't know, halfway through my career was when I talked about the other team, say we had a big district game coming up, five minutes is all they got. So we spent I put a, I put the clock on it. And so we did five minutes usually during the athletic period that we went through what the other team did. That was it. And uh and so before it might be 30 minutes and what what happened was we knew their stuff so good that our stuff, we forgot. <laughs> we should have been running their stuff. <laughs> and so I was guilty. I mean, I, I made a lot of mistakes along the way. And uh, that was one of them. Coach, I love that you went into that. I, I really do because it is something <laughs> that, you know, you, you as a high school player, I played for Tommy Thomas, the legendary Tommy Thomas. So I, I, I learned from him that I played for Dave Bliss and golly, he would give us a pamphlet of things to to know before every opponent. And and then the guys I worked for, like we would have pretty in-depth scouting reports. And so I got to faith and started to do the same thing. You know what I realized is, is like I would spend a lot of time on those, but what was the information in those that they really needed to know that it was a small portion of it. And those scouting reports that I thought were so special would end up on the locker room floor. And, and I don't, and I didn't really know how much the guys were, were putting into it. And on top of it, when, like you had said, keep your style or idea simple, the more simple we got, the more it just turned out to be, it's about what we do more than really about what they do. And so I, again, the alignment, I think with, with where you got to there, I, I I understand that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you learn a lot along the way, and yeah. you change a little bit. And a lot of coaches say, well, I can't tell much difference between you early and later in your career. Maybe you've gotten a little easier, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> I, I had some long workouts. Before the UIL had that eight hours, of, I was 
I was working them, man. <laughs> I loved it, and I was uh, oh. Do you think it's better? Do you think it's better living. now, where we're yeah. trying to do yeah. more in less time? Okay. I think I think it's better now as far as Matt. When I first started coaching, I was so in love with the game. I worked them out Christmas Eve, which now at least they put a five day limit in there. You can't do that I anymore. I can remember some three hour workouts, man. I was yeah. going strong, but the kids were over there. <laughs> you're living the dream and they were probably like me at the colony oh. gym the uh, the the doors on one of the baselines there was some glass that went out to the outside where you could see and we could tell because there's no clock in the gym but as the light got dimmer and dimmer out there we knew golly it's getting late right <laughs> a, couple, a couple of years ago i went down to watch chris beard workout tech they had just been on some type of a retreat and so hadn't touched the basketball in a couple of days. So they came back and a bunch of us went down to watch it work out. Well, we stayed the whole thing and it was about a four hour workout, man. <laughs> so there, there are guys that are still, still going strong <laughs> well, like still that. Still <laughs> we got to get in on that certain day. <laughs> we got to feel good about it. But I, I think a good challenge for us from year to year is to, Look back over your practice plans and see if there's fluff that you can take out. What oh, yeah. things are you doing? Because there, there is this Micah Lancaster is one of my favorite skill coaches out there. And he does use some accountability tools that some people don't like. I I I get it. And I kind of I I'm my brain goes that way with with how he thinks, but what he says about a skill is that once they you've taught it and they've mastered it, you don't necessarily have to keep going back to it again and again. Maybe it shows up in other areas in different ways. But I think defensively, I was guilty of that early on. Like we're going to continue to drill these basic actions again and again, instead of taking that time and maybe just putting them more in a live situation where they're still doing that action. But what could we do? We could shave five, 10 minutes off the plan yeah. doing and that. You know, when you get down to the end of the season, what a breath of fresh air when you cut your workouts back. Those kids are, you know, let's say you work them out for an hour instead of an hour and a half, or maybe you work them out 45 minutes instead of an hour, whatever it is. It's like a breath of fresh air. And they, yeah. they fly through workout. They do a great job. And uh, th their energy is good. And so that's stuff we can learn, you know, through that's a good point. Yep. And I think it goes back to make each day your masterpiece. I wrote yeah. down after that, I wrote down <laughs> honor their time. Uh, sure. Because I think I think part of it is as great as our practice plan is, Tyler Costin said <laughs> they they are most likely thinking about where they're going to eat after, you know, what they're, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, and I had an AD one time, I thought it was great. He said, Matt, you got to remember we're the weirdos. We're the weirdos, not them. Cause you might think as a coach, like, golly, why don't they love it as much as us? Why don't they want to stay coach? You and I are the weirdos, not them. That's one of the principles I put in my book and I learned players don't necessarily want to win a state title as much as the coach. Players want to win, but it's not the coach. It can be an overriding thing. And so you have to be careful and understand that too. They're not, 
they're not going home. And I, I, I tell, I, I'd ask my players the next day, hey, did y'all see LeBron play last night? What did you see how low he was getting on his drives? Coach, yeah, the bachelor was on, you know, last <laughs> night. <laughs> you know, <laughs> LeBron, who, yeah, I had, uh, uh, Shashevsky, one year I was at a clinic where he spoke. Had him write a team. To, I had him write a little note to my team, Lady Lady Eagles. Uh, and he said, uh, work hard and good luck to the Canyon Lady Eagles, something like that. It's really, I mean, awesome to have him do that. And I took it back. The players that didn't know who Shashevsky was. <laughs> you're 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 like you have it, you know, in, in in a in a frame and everything. <laughs> <laughs> I have a frame, that's right. <laughs> Coaches, the Jamoti Podcast is powered by Shoot360. The future of basketball has arrived in Dallas Fort Worth. Shoot360 combines the latest sports technology with the fundamentals of basketball skill development. The result is a one-of-a-kind video game-like basketball program designed to improve your shooting, dribbling, and passing. Visit Shoot360DFW.com to learn more and register for your free one-hour workout evaluation. Shoot360, the future of basketball is here. You know, I have written on my board here just kind of some daily reminders. A lot of the reminders, these little nuggets are just from these talks I get to have. I'll hear something, I'll be like, golly, I, I need to have that on my board so I can see it daily. And, and one of it is just the reminder of it's my job, but it's their game. Yeah. And I never want to take that away from them. I, sure. I never wanted to, to the pressures that I might feel or that hunger, that drive to achieve some of the things that you, that you have or other guys, not to put that pressure. Cause you know, when I, when I watch them shoot every day, we play a lot of shooting games that deal with increasing their speed and then putting pressure on them so that those reps are real. But that's enough. Like that's enough stress that they need to have with this game. I've already done it to them. Don't put any, (laughs) don't put any more. Yeah. Oh yeah. We, we can do that. I can do that really easily. And, uh, and you know, I don't, I tried to get better at that as I went through my career. I mean, Bobby Knight, I mean, I was, I I thought I was going to be a Bobby Knight coach and, Man, that very first year I found out it was not me. And uh, not, I mean, you have to, everybody has their own skill set and have their own way of doing things. And we all don't have to coach exactly the same way. Uh, It's kind of what you get the kids to buy into and what they can learn from you. And uh, it doesn't have to be the same. And you don't have to fake it and try to be something that you're not. And, uh, man, I regret a few of the words that I chose to use when I was a young coach, Matt, that yeah. oh, I look back and say, how stupid, you know. And uh, but, but what is – your brain doesn't fully develop to you about, what, age 30 or something? Yeah, tw- like 25 <laughs> or something. 25, so, if you, yeah, yeah, if you started before that. It, mine was late even, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you, how long did it, you feel like it until – you know, not a not like a groove or hit your stride because you're a lifelong learner. And so the probably the real answer is never. But where did you at what point in your career did you feel like, OK, like I I know who I am in, in this deal? That's a good question. I always was striving to be 
the best I could be every single year. I mean, I probably, I probably, I don't know, probably got more confident there after I won some. And, uh, but uh, I, I do remember this, uh, Matt, that I got about halfway through my career and uh, I thought, is there maybe something more that God wants me to give to these kids rather than just, you know, every day show up, do my job, working hard and uh, win some games. And so when I became a little more focused toward that than I did even on winning, my teams played even better. <laughs> they played even better. And uh, so I probably took some of the pressure off. And uh, we started doing some things like, uh, you know, in the public schools, you couldn't really, you know, I had to be careful about yeah, yeah. things there. But we got where uh, we did devotionals that were led by the players uh, the night before games, uh, especially when we got to district and playoffs. So they led the devotionals. They were awesome. The kids did an awesome job. And we would pray. Uh, I have to admit, we would pray uh, just for concerns and things that, joys and concerns and so we got and just I tried to do a better job at loving my players but I mean I I've been a believer and I've been every, all the way through but I felt like I had to do more yeah uh, to hey it's this what can I do that pleases God that I you know that I don't know if it's going to be that big a deal how many games I actually win when uh, you know, I'm done, you know. So what are some other things that make a difference? And I'm telling you, there are, there are a lot of coaches out there that are doing some terrific things and they beat themselves up because they don't win all the time because that's not on social media probably. Yeah. But there's some great, great people out there that I'm so glad are leading our kids, you know, day in and day out. And because uh, uh, – it's it's bigger than wins and losses. It's that, that culture you bring day in and day out is really what has the biggest impact on those players. And uh, you know that Billy old Billy Graham statement that a coach can impact more people in one year than most people do in a lifetime. Yeah, I started. Oh man, that's that's put some pressure on me, some responsibility on me. And so I want to make sure I'm impacting in the right way. So uh, that's been a little bit. I mean, I've studied the game. I've studied the game as much as anybody in the history of the game. And uh, so I like that learn that lifetime, that learning thing. I like that a lot. But, you know, I have the biggest room for growth, I think, is on my spiritual side and my uh, my thing where I can get I can do more for these players than what I'm doing right now. And so I gradually, hopefully, got better at that. I've never mastered it, but hopefully I got better. And I was more aware of that as we went along through there. Uh, and like I said, it's it was we won more after I did that, after I just than I did even before that. And so uh anyway. Interesting. Well, it's interesting though, because it's early on uh, I thought. I can't waste a second of practice time, you know, out out with culture or 
getting to know them or taking those those few minutes for little talks. And even though I might even notice something in a kid, he's just normally energetic, but he's drooping a little bit more. He just seems to be down. But do I do I have the time? And and to your point, um, I we need to be willing to sacrifice that precious practice time a hundred percent of the time to get deeper within with our players, get at their hearts a little bit more, find out who they are, the 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 connection piece, let them know they love us like you talked about. And and I think it's pretty inspiring to hear that uh, the biggest change in your career wasn't this offense or defense that you found or a new drill or new this. It was I spent a lot of time, Matt, trying yeah. to I mean, I spent a lot of time trying to study that and beat myself up. And uh and I mean it was that was fun. I like that, but hey, golly, it's right there staring me in the face. What else can I do to have an impact? And so all of our coaches out there listening, just hey, you don't have to be a preacher or you don't have to be a you know, go to Bible college, just do what God wants you to do. Show your passion and uh why you're in coaching and uh you know, just enjoy what you have because I get a coach for a living. <laughs> they're they're um, paying me to do this. <laughs> you know, those NBA players are playing for millions of dollars. I get a, they should be, th- I can do this for a living. And this is, uh, <laughs> they ought to appreciate what they got. <laughs> quick, quick story here. I, I got to go play in my late 20s. I was coaching at McKinney High School as a varsity assistant, but I was still playing quite a bit and got to go play in Mexico for seven days. And and with this t- team of Americans that was playing against the Mex- Mexican Olympic team, we were like that team, the Washington Generals that traveled with the Globetrotters. They were just beating us up and all of these little towns drumming up support for their Olympic team. But in one of the cities, the, these Americans that I was with, they were – threatening to not play because they haven't been they weren't paid their 50 bucks before the game and i remember sitting there in the locker room with them and it was like that moment right there like guys <laughs> listen we get we get to play like we get paid to do this and they looked at me they were younger guys <laughs> that were trying to get in the g league and all this stuff i have gray hair already as a 30 year old getting my 50 bucks but i'm like they were so mad at me but it was the truth. I, I I felt the same way. Like I going to practice, getting to play this game, man, yeah. this is the best thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah. There's some times I used to tell my players, God, I wish, can I suit up? Can I play? And I mean, I'm just ready to play. And, uh, and so, you know, when you, God has blessed you with that passion for it, uh, you're in the right profession, but we all can, take our talents and get a little bit better at things we do. And, uh, and, uh, we all can improve. And so, uh, that's what I wanted to always do. I was always trying to get better. Um, and, uh, I'm still working on it still a lot of times a failure, but still working on it. So, uh, yeah. It's really cool though, to, to, to hear cause you were a player and, and then moved to coaching and, and how at some point, let me ask you this, at what point did you maybe stop looking at the game like you were a player and you really started to see it more from a different point of view? 
Well, as soon as I started coaching, it changed. Yeah. <laughs> it changed. But, you know, we take our experiences that we had, you know, as players. I had a coach in college that he did. He ran a new offense every year. Back then it was the Dick Mata offense one week. And then it was uh, Rudy Tomjanovich. And then it was, uh, oh, I don't know, all the great coaches back then. We had a new thing. And you know, maybe one or two guys might be able to understand all those little things, but the, the Kentucky offense and, oh, man, I tell you, and here I was du duplicating a little bit of that same thing. I just had to slap my wrist. What am I doing here? I, the the kids get more enjoyment. You've, you've hit on it about getting better, improving, and they so they do that through their skill development and uh, – it's more than remembering an offense or play. And when that skill development directly complements the way you're playing, to me, that's when you really start to that improvement accelerates. Yeah. I think a good question for you is your favorite style to play or to teach. <laughs> but golly, over 42 years, I mean, I've seen a lot. I, I got to imagine. Yeah, you've seen so many ideas and fads come and go to or or, or stay some stuck, yeah. have stuck around but was it every year to i mean i think you kind of answered a little bit that were you reinventing or just constantly shifting to maybe the way that what this team needs how did you t do that from year to year well i was because i was active learning on stuff i was trying some of that stuff out along the way now, mainly I did that in the springtime when I had the kids in the spring. There wasn't a ball game on the horizon till next year. So I did a lot of experimenting in the spring, but we, oh, you know, you, you, you don't really get better doing that. Maybe you get better defensively because you guard all that different That's stuff. That's a good point. Yeah. So maybe that was uh, pretty good. But uh, my career, Matt, the first three fourths of my career was, uh, Post-oriented, we were inside, outside, and I'm telling you, you can win that way today. I mean, it's not – I know that's – but we could – we used to have teams, and our goal was to shoot 50% every year. If we didn't shoot 50%, we shot 48 or 47 and 10 turnovers or less. And so we played under control, and uh, we played inside out. Of course, you have to de develop a post player, and and uh, but that's I always thought that was the best way to shoot a three was throw it inside, and let them kick it back out. You step into shoot a three. I think to me that's the easiest way to shoot it. So yeah. I still have a little bit of that that background. But uh, then I'd say the last, uh, I guess when Calipari started talking about, well, I tried to run Bobby Knight motion in the middle, all that stuff. No, really back early. And, uh, oh, and how'd that I, go? I talk, and I talked to Bill Self about that was probably the hardest stuff to guard. What Bobby Knight used to run, yeah. So you gave all these screens and you do all these reads off those screens, and that's hard to guard. And so, like, so if I had a what if I had a bunch of old men playing, <laughs> that's what we're doing. We're setting back screens, player screens, and I'm going to pick you to death, and we're going to. Right come back, roll back to the ball and do all those things. Now I would love to play like that. So I had the, uh, um, 
inside outside. I played half court man. I did press when I felt like I could full court press, and I did press. But we had a lot of grind out games too, Matt, that were not easy. And one in particular, we lost a level in, I think it was 22 to 20. And we were number one and two team in the state of Texas in the same district. Wow. And we met in the regional finals for about three straight years, three or four straight years, or five straight years. <laughs> and, uh, that's when I over I, I was over coaching. I knew their stuff as well as they did, and I yeah. tried to get that to our players. And uh, I thought it hurt our our what we did, our offense and stuff. And so, but we we played a lot of those type of games where every every possession was huge. Okay, there's of course no shot clock, and yeah. so you played to win, right? And uh, so anyway, that's I was kind of brought up playing that way a little bit in high school, uh, and then uh, of course college was just all over the place. But in my early years of coaching, we were, you know, and I, I mean, I still had the goal of ten turnovers my whole career, but. Hopefully it was a little more free flowing and not so. But I felt like I took the pressure off the kids. They played better, right? I mean, I don't don't teach them so much of what the other team was trying to do. Okay, so if I could do it right now, if I had the players, so in girls, if I had five girls, uh, no, excuse me, if I had ten girls, they're all five foot eight, five foot nine, five foot ten. We would full court man press. We would run the two-side break. Uh, we would run some type of four-out or five-out motion with some dribble-drive principles, and we would sub when we got tired. And I'd bring in uh, Betty Lou for Susie. You know, she'd yeah. Come. I think that would, could be a lot of fun. Now, that's, that's having 10 similar-type players that are pretty high-caliber-type players. That's I, And I played a little bit like that in my career, but – I never could felt like and I don't have a backup for my point guard. I don't want her full court pressing the whole yeah. game, getting some fouls and getting tired. And and so uh, we didn't play like that a lot. But if I had the team or if I had a boys team, I had everybody was 6'3", you know, kind of lengthy. And I would switch everything. I would, yeah. uh, like I said, I would – we would get to the hole, but we'd shoot threes and uh and we'd get paint touches and uh we would we would play kind of like that if that makes sense. I don't know yeah. that's a, that's enough detail, but that's how I'd like to play. But you know, to win, you have to be realistic on what your kid what your team can do and not do. And so even though I may like that the best, most of the time I felt like I couldn't win like that. I just didn't feel like we had that type of team. And so we had to play a little bit differently. And so there was a year where I ran a lot of set plays, man, because I just felt like, man, we just can't score and we're just, but we're smart and I can, I can set up some shots. And so, Hey, that was, you know, that was kind of rewarding. Hey, we scored on that set play and we scored on that set play. <laughs> and I've heard of guys that had a hundred set plays. Can you imagine going over that in practice and what kind of fun is that for the players or even yeah. the coaches? I mean, what kind of fun? I mean, that's that's not really we have set plays, but 
you know, we'll start out with about four and we'll kind of go from there, you know, what we need yeah. to add along the way or take out along the way. But a hundred set plays, I don't know how you that can't be a lot of fun to me. And then now that's my opinion, but you can win that. You can win a lot of different ways. That's the cool thing about basketball. Uh, Man, that's a good I, point. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, Coach Weiss at Leveling, that was our back early when we were battling Leveling every year back when I first went to Canyon. They did a great job as his own defense. And I was a man-to-man guy my whole career, but he showed me you can win playing a zone. So it's whatever you get good at. I mean, yeah. you can win different styles. And so, so, so for coaches that watch this, you don't have to want, run this or run the same thing the national champions that UConn men ran this year. You don't have to run that. I mean, they I like their stuff, but you can win other ways, and maybe that's not what your team has anyway. So, so get something that you can teach. Uh, because if I go in there, I don't quite understand what Casios is, is explaining. I'm trying to run that. I'm gonna. I, it, it could be done a lot better than what I'm. So I need to make sure if I'm gonna teach my players, I need to fully understand how to teach it. And uh, so we gotta have answers. We gotta <laughs> have answers for their questions. And I don't yeah, know. Right. We're making it up, and <laughs> yeah. that's 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 gonna be tough. But no, Coach, I appreciate you sharing. There's a lot of a lot of golden nuggets there. I think I think one danger of having a system and being known for that system is that you start to lose a little bit of what you said is, can my players do this? Like, is this actually what's best for them? And can, will it lead to winning? And so I, cause I've gone down that path of, Hey, we run a gun here and that's what we're going to do. And then <laughs> we're pressing and do all this stuff. And one of my friends comes to the game, a coaching friend. I said, man, what do you think? Like we were in the nineties, you know, playing really fast. And, and he's like, well, it's just, it's good. Except I don't know if you have the horses to do what you're trying to do. <laughs> and it hurt my feelings, but, but, and we ended up, we ended up having a year where that we could all feel conflict of these young men are trying to do what I'm asking, but can they, like, is it actually possible? Is it best for them? So I think that's where our egos, my ego has to stay out of it and find that sweet spot where, because you kept using the word fun. It has to be fun for them. You got to be able to coach it. And does it lead to winning? Yeah. Does it lead to winning? Cause you know, and let's talk about three point shooting just for a minute. Uh, Love, I, I think everybody loves three-point shooting. Uh, but I can remember losing a game where we went one for 21. I can remember watching Duke when they were number one in the nation. They got beat by like Florida Gulf Coast or somebody. Duke was five for 38 or something. Yeah. So if you put all your eggs into just three-point shooting, you're going to have an off night where it's not going to go. And so you've got to have something else in your office that you can draw fouls or whatever, score other ways. And so, yeah, you know, and let me say this too. I know what analytics say about the mid range shot, but the guys that are good at it, that's what I want them taking. Okay. So if I've got uh, DeRozan, yeah. He is that guy that's great at the 17 footer, but not the what is it in the NBA 20 
one feet or 23 it's, feet it's far feet. it's far um, yeah if he doesn't have that range, yeah, you're not going to tell him, hey, analytically, that's dumb. Stop doing that. But he's getting two points per possession. I mean, I think you just need, for us on our level, we need one point per possession to win. Okay. Yeah. So if you're shooting the two pointers at 50% or higher, I mean, if that's what you got, that's what you got. Yep. But I know Dan Leakes, what they say about the three, and I don't disagree with them, but I think you have to have a way to get to the free throw line or get paint touches and uh, get some drives or cuts in there to help to go along with set up those. I want those three-point shots to be wide open, three-point shots. Coach, you nailed it. You nailed it right there. Like, not all threes are the same. Yeah. And just because you're shooting 30 to 40 of them, you can't forget quality and and Baylor struggled with this 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 past year great guards a lot of talent Charles Barkley who ended up being he's one of my favorite commentators and I never thought but he he says yeah but and it's it, it just makes sense and I like that but he says that he says them guys at Baylor are shooting contested threes and I I it was kind of like that light bulb moment because you you they were missing a lot in the first half and even as a fan watching it, in my head, I'm just thinking percentages. Ah, it'll come back around. Well, to his point, not if they're banking on shooting that low percentage of a three, off the bounce, contested, deep, high difficulty. That's not the same as a drive, collapse, kick, in rhythm, or an offensive yeah. rebound kick to you your know, point. In the, in the guy that drives it to the hole but throws up crap, I mean – I know you're in the you're getting kind of a paint touch, but you're wasting it with a terrible shot. One that you know, so shot selection was always big for me. Oh, it's beautiful. It's it's number one. It's in yeah. my opinion. It's 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 day one. It's what we all have to be on the same page about. Cause and I also feel like, and I'm sorry for cutting you off. I can't believe I just cut off Coach Lombard. <laughs> but uh, I got excited. I got excited because it it is. It's it it says so much about your culture too. Like we want our our kids shooting freely, but they got to know what they're allowed. It's like our faith, right? Like it's people get upset about the rules. The rules are there to give us freedom, and, and but and, and to live this life the way we we're intended to live. I think shot selection does that. Sorry, coach. Go ahead. <laughs> no, that's uh, that's awesome. So, uh, so you know, most of my career, ten turnovers or less. Over, and so we're, you know, you got to do things in practice that help you with your, you know, the worst teams turn it over. And so if you can keep from turning the ball over and at least get a shot, yep. you got a chance. But if you're going to turn the ball over all the time because you're out of control, and you know, really, uh, where I see, to me, where I see a lot of kids get hurt get injured is they're doing things they're not really capable of doing and they're they're tearing ACLs and things yeah. where they're out of control. So you have to train what you want them to do when they get in the lane and not throw not throw up, get something off balance and throw some a bad shot or get hurt on a uh you know for for a while I was really uh in the middle of my career I was really working on the that hard jump stop in the lane score which a lot of guys do, but I, I've seen too many girls tear their ACLs trying to do that. So we had to kind of change that a little bit, make a little adaptation there. Where 
Maybe it's a short inside step or something. But More of a one-two or a stride one, stop. Two, yeah. stride stop, yes, rather than yeah. a, a real hard jump stop. And uh, so, so you you learn, you 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 uh, you adapt, you change. Although you stay the same, but really not. You change as you go through and yeah. try to get things better. And coaches, the Jamoti Podcast is powered by Bology. Manage and measure your player's skill development and increase accountability year-round utilizing the Bology app. Boost inter-squad competition with drills backed by the National High School Basketball Coaches Association, including a 40-shot Bology skills assessment. Please visit Bology.com teams for information on how you can provide this resource for your team. Practice, you know, we, I talked about that athletic period. Yeah. So during that 45 minutes, we would shoot it at least 10 to 15 minutes, skill development, 10 or 15 minutes. We do 10 minutes, maybe a team where we're trying to clean something up. And when we got to our after school workout, then we, uh, we, we went for about an hour and a half. And so for, for an hour, we would do teams to all kinds of team stuff, full court, half court. And we do about 30 minutes of shooting, a lot of free throw shooting during that mm-hmm. after school workout. When we got to, uh, the uh, playoffs, and maybe sooner than that, we went to an hour after school maximum. And then there was some. There was even a few days where we went athletic period only, and that was it. Were so, you uh, were you always having them go against each other uh, in practice, or was there a part of the season where you you know wasn't a uh, bone on bone? <laughs> We did a lot of bone on bone, but because uh, what what I did most of the time was I'd have enough kids on our varsity they would work they'd go bone on bone against each other, and before school the JV would practice against the freshman team. Let me tell you though, this past year, uh, Tate had the JV team stay with us, and that was a breath of fresh air. Hmm. We weren't beating each other up all the time, and then. We didn't have to play those quiz kids quite as much as we say we had two teams of varsity players, then a third team might be the JV teams. So we might have kept five or six JV players. And uh that was a breath of fresh air. That was refreshing. Yeah. To go against that little so so again, don't be uh, I always thought the other way was better where I just had straight varsity because it's the best players against the best players. After uh, 125 workouts, I mean it, that you're asking a lot. So, uh, so anyway. culture wise too, culture wise too, that can be really good to have them together to for those younger oh, yeah. players to see how the older ones talk and train, oh, and, yeah. and they can yeah. really catch a lot of that. I just you know I didn't want to take away. I wanted our varsity guys yeah. to most reps and in all this stuff, but um. You know, there there were several years in a row where I had one day a week, I think it was on Wednesdays, we went against our freshman boys team with our varsity. And that was a breath of fresh air. And we did that, gosh, we did that many years at Canyon. But I hate to say this, I we got a kid hurt. And so we haven't gone back to that since. Uh, she was she, she probably was trying to do a little bit too much against superior speed and and uh, hurt a knee and so 
that, that, that was, was going to be my next question. Years ago. That was three years ago, probably. Well, I would say it was good going against those boys because they're more athletic. They're yeah. faster, block shots, they'd steal passes. They made us have to be more fundamentally sound. I yeah. or I or I thought so. And then also you like I like to train in a little bit of adversity. I like to train five versus six sometimes or five versus seven even or put seven or eight JV kids out there and go against my five, let them press this, you know. I mean, yeah. I think it's good. So the boys thing was a little bit in, in adversity. And like I said, I did it for, cow 10 or 15 years in a row until we had that one thing. And so that left a bad taste in our mouth. We haven't gone back and done that again. But uh, uh, I thought that was a little bit of change of pace. That was really good. Hey, let me say this. We're, we're – kind of getting the workouts now, Mark. But let me say this in workouts. One thing that I thought was really good is on Wednesdays, I, I, and I, I'm a big Bill Self guy, but on Wednesdays, we like to uh, spend 15, 10 or 15 minutes on boxing one, triangle and two, tandem and three, and kind of jump defense and maybe offense against that. And uh, so that was 15 minutes a week. 10 or 15 minutes a week. And there were many times throughout my career where we had to go to just a little bit of junk for just a couple minutes paid off. So. So you, little, you use those, you felt like you felt like occasionally you used those in spots and it helped a ton. Yeah. Maybe it was after a timeout, but, or maybe it was just, there was a, I can think back of a couple particular games where, we just couldn't stop somebody and they had some stud players and we had to go to triangle and two and won the game for us. And we really hadn't worked on it very much. So I'm a big believer in plan a plan B and maybe <laughs> plan C. You don't spend much time on plan C. I don't, I, I probably didn't spend enough time on plan B. It was, it was half court man defense, but there's times that zone on plan B held yeah. us and that, Tandem and three, uh, or triangle and two, boxing one thing helped us, you know. So, just 10 or 15 minutes. I know your time is precious, but uh, we did that on Wednesdays during the season only. We didn't work on that on the off season, or but just on Wednesdays, about 10 or 15 minutes. Man, nice to have those in your tool belt, like you said. If they're they're the guy is uh, players in rhythm you call a timeout or there's a break, it's a quarter. Yeah. Hey, let's just change up the feel a little bit. Cause we, we, three and a half years ago, we prior, we went to a, a pressure three, two, always been a man to man guy like you went to a pressure three, two fell in love with it. Great for our kids, gave us an identity on the defensive end finally, but I've, I struggle with adjusting. I'm more Jason Garrett which is process. This is what we're going to do. And and people in DFW hated him for it. <laughs> but I, I, how did you deal with adjusting in games? Yeah. Well, so you, I mean, you, you have to go through those things in practice, in my opinion. So you have to prepare your practices to, for any type of thing. So we constantly were going up against different things and making it a little bit adverse and chaotic and uh, so once you got to a game and, you know, things didn't go quite the way you thought they were going to go, you, hey, we practiced this. You remember? We we worked on this type of stuff. 
So uh, I never will forget a game back in early my career. <laughs> we were playing, uh, I think it was Littlefield, Texas, and uh, we had the ball for the last shot. Called timeout. Come over here. Come over here. I drew up a brand new play. <laughs> you know, I never had showed them. Oh, well, we go out to run this thing. I thought it was amazing. Probably the Chicago Bulls had run it that night before. So I still had it in my brain. Well, we forgot to tell them how to get it inbounds. So we got a five <laughs> second foul. <laughs> hey. I made a lot of mistakes along the way. Did you own that one, or were you like the I coach that, that throws the that, clipboard that is, and gets mad at the players for that? That was my fault. That was yeah. it was yeah. When we ever tried to do now, there was a couple of times I had a guy named Johnny Hampton as a longtime assistant coach with me, and we we had a lot of we thought alike, and we we were we were a good team. He probably. Uh, assistant coach for 25 years. Oh, wow. We're playing a uh, team in the state championship game, and they go triangle and two on us. I didn't think we had anybody that good to even merit that. <laughs> but they, they went tri- triangle and two. And then it got to be – they did it in the second quarter, so got halftime. We had a few minutes to kind of come up, and Johnny came up with a – simple little thing we had not worked on that worked <laughs> but normally that stuff doesn't work if you haven't practiced it and so uh so anyway but this one, one particular time it worked and we kind of got them you know the triangle two ended up being their second defense you know sometimes you score a couple times get a couple easy buckets and they're out of it again so I can't remember your question. Just adjusting during during yeah. games because yeah. uh, Dick Devenzio, the founder of PGC, is one of. <laughs> I went to PGC as a high school player twice under Dick, and then got to direct for them for five years. So his books and his ideas, I'm, I'm really fond of. And I was, I'm actually going through uh, one of his. Run it, run in the show. Like I'm going through this right now. And, and he literally talks, he talk. Uh, he, he laughs about how commentators will talk about halftime adjustments that coaches make. And he said, he said, majority of the time they're doing the exact same thing. They're just doing it the way they're supposed to do it. With and he says he says with more effort and with more energy, but yeah. but people come and say, well, what a great adjustment at halftime. Whatever oh, yeah. you did, and I thought that like, man, I don't I don't think we did anything really different because we're pretty simple. But yeah. I, but I, but I'm wondering if that is a part of the game that I need to get better at or evolve in is those in game adjustments. I just didn't know if you had any yeah. uh, pointers there. Yeah. Well, I think uh, I think. Again, if you're going to win the game, 95% of it's because what you do in practice, maybe 5% or less is your adjustments during the game. Uh, but like I said, if you work, if you practice those adjustments, then it's just, hey, that's who we are. We can we can adjust easily. Look, look, girls, how we we did this in practice and we did this, and hey, this is nothing. I mean, we've seen tougher things than this and what we do in practice. So, but I, you know, you said I have an assistant coach maybe 
I may have one watch in the offense, one watch in the defense of the opponent, or that's what I used to do when I could. And, uh, and so I got, I, I usually got good feedback with my assistant coaches really involved them in that regard. But I think you can overdo it if you, if you're just doing it to do it. I mean, if you're, yeah. playing, if you're playing well, I don't even, I usually don't even like to sub. I want to, if we're playing really well, I, I just want to roll with it. Okay. And so if we are playing them well in our half court defense, why do we, think I have to come out and press then and give them something, maybe give them something easy. So, but if the game is ebb and flow back and forth and nobody's getting momentum, maybe you making that adjustment you're talking about. And maybe so you, you take a little bit of a risk there, but um, you know, I, that's another thing, what we've already talked about. Once I, once I quit putting pressure on myself, uh, like everything was this, I was so important. And once I got over the, uh, when I, once I go over the fear of losing, okay. And that's about the same time I made my little adjustment on making an impact on players. Once I go over the fear of losing to me, that before maybe it filtered to the players, they may have got that too for me. And so you have to be careful with, you know, that those sort of things. And uh, when you don't have that fear of losing, then you don't mind going ahead. If you need to make a an adjustment during a game, hey, I'm I'm good with it because the worst thing can happen is we lose the game. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so you have to understand that's gonna that's part of the coaching. You know, you're gonna uh, have you know that's just part of coaching. That's the way it goes. But you're going to do what you in the moment you think is the best thing for your team, and uh, so I mean that can be anything. Like like we said, I mean you can run seven different presses, and I mean you can you can do you can win a lot of different ways. But uh, my best teams didn't beat themselves; they didn't turn it over. You know they, uh, and so when you beat yourself and doesn't really matter who you're playing. So, but to be my best, to be our best, we had to, we had to hang in the game against superior teams. And there were some years where I, I, I felt like we were the best team, but there were a lot of years I felt like we were not the best team, but we could still win. Hmm. And so, you know, uh, just by the preparation that they do and confidence that they build through the season and, um, you know, I don't know. Some guys, the Bill Belichick's, okay, like to take away whatever you do best. They like to take away that number one thing. And so you have to prepare for that. If you have a stud guard, what happens if they come out in trap or what are you going to do? Yeah. So prepare for that and prepare your player for that. If you got a great post player and they, front and back or they double team your post player, what are you going to do? So, you know, you have to, that's why you, those adjustments you make during, that they can do, you do it during practice. We, we used to start out in practice uh, early in the year. One day would be a man day or the next day would be a zone day. And on those zone days, we'd run half court presses, full court presses, two, three zones on, you know, so we would do that on, where we had a full day of zone stuff. 
And then the next day we'd be man where we would run and jump and do things out of a man stuff. And so in preseason, we kind of helped with our preparation on hmm. seeing all that different type of stuff that we might see uh, in a ball game. And uh, they didn't have to execute uh, the other team's defense that well, but they just had to offensively go against it. Yeah. So if you came out through some different stuff at me, Hey, we, we've already run this, you know, <laughs> we, we, we're, we're good. We're good. Yeah. Don't, don't panic. And sometimes they will, you know, yeah. uh, but uh, yeah. So adjustments are overrated, but you do make some during the game. Uh, I think this, I think if you, <laughs> I've seen it happen, like that team ran a triangle two against us. If they would have waited to the second half, it had been more effective. But because we had time at halftime to talk about it, draw some things up, we were able to. Yeah, the timing of your adjustments is huge. I, I really, I think if you want to go to that amoeba defense, that amoeba zone, and that's not your, you might consider waiting till the third quarter to try that. Yeah. Or it gets you a little momentum, and then you can still go back to what you do best, if that's that's an example. So good. Uh, it's hard to make an adjustment, though, for the other team if you don't, if you wait till the second half. So you got to be pretty good to do that. But I know those adjustments work a lot better if, uh, if you can hold off on that hmm. surprise defense. I have to ask after the career that you've had, and I think we we have discussed a few things that you learned along the way, some adjustments that you made with your coaching, and then and even more with the uh, relationships that you have with your players. What would you do differently if you could start over again? Yeah, and I I wrote down a couple of things there because some of these I started doing differently, and then some I messed up, and then some I did them pretty well. But the, these are things when I have uh, people that are young coaches that call me and ask me, hey, what do you think? And here's some things. These are simple things, but these are really good. Number one is uh, have a mentor or have somebody you can, can, you can talk with, uh, maybe somebody on the staff and maybe somebody that you can call, but have a mentor where you're just not I, – I don't think it's good just to do it by yourself. Yeah. I think it's good to have these conversations like we're having where it really gives me strength when I, when I visit and talk to other people and know that they're kind of got some of the same problems I got. So, so collaborate and have a mentor or mentors, however you want to do that. Uh, I think especially young coaches go watch other teams practice. To me, that's a big key in winning is, you know, what can I do things in practice that'll make us better? What are, what are some thoughts that, are, that I may change what we're doing? Um, and then, uh, like for me, our lifeline was the junior high program. So I was highly involved in the junior high program. So, you know, in public schools, it's not like you're getting move-ins every year. You got to go with what you got. Yeah. And so, but if you develop those kids, you got seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, J. I mean, you got some time there to develop those kids and uh, form that personal relationship with those kids and learn their strengths and weaknesses. So when it's time for them to come up, 
you 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 already it's not a guessing game you already know what what all that is and so so spend time and but really start your fundamentals and skill development with those junior high kids i've talked about keeping it simple uh, oh hey as a as a high school coach or junior high coach this is Hey, just be a part of the faculty. Don't be, don't isolate yourself and just put yourself over in a corner and, Hey, we're, we're, we're really good. And, you know, I want you to tell me about it. Hey, what you're really good or should be is humility. And you should, you should be a servant leader and be a part of that faculty in a way that they want to support you because of how you respect the rest of them. So. Hmm. Um, you know, so, hey, the things about putting your high school principal in the team picture, whatever you think about that, I did that some, I didn't do that every year, uh, but you definitely want to have support group that'll help you if you need help in different ways. And so uh, I've been blessed just to have so many friends along the way and so many people, like I was never afraid, and this is what a lot of my other coaches tell me, and I would do that. I'm guilty of this, but I don't care if it's a junior high coach. I would go visit with people, and I would find out different ways to do things. So I'm so I'm looking for a, a better way of doing things. So I'm a lifetime learner, and I'm always trying to, you know, get something, some little nugget, like you've talked about, some little thing there that'll help me with my whatever I need help with. And so don't ever isolate yourself just learn as much as you can but be who you are you don't want to be like me and i don't need to be you know so be who you are and but learn from these other people and i I may run your offense but i may coach it a little bit differently or i may have my own little thing and that's okay that's what you don't be a fake i mean just give them who you are and uh, love those kids and they'll you know, you can do some great things. So that's a good list right there. <laughs> well, you know, you, you know, one thing as a, uh, uh, and part of your culture too, is you got a coaching staff, you got players and uh, you're, it's kind of like you want it to become like a family kind of in certain ways. I mean, you, and there's going to be some times that you don't agree with what your kid, your own kids are doing. Yeah. Or, I mean, it's not that you can't have some discussions there, but you are, you're going to go to battle with your family and, uh, and try to help them and vice versa. And, uh, if you can get them out of the, you know, nowadays it's, I, I don't know. I just see a little bit of the selfish thing. It's all about you and not about what the team does. And yeah, I know you have to see it as being a, uh, you want those kids to get better. That's what you're pushing them to do, but do it in a way that it helps the team. It's not just about them getting a scholarship or, I mean, that's great. We yeah. hope you get a scholarship, but you're on this high school team and enjoy the heck out of that for a couple for these years. And uh, you're going to be rewarded. Coaches, college coaches are going to find out about you. And uh, so uh, you don't have to score 30 every game. You just have to – I think they respect you if you know how to win. And uh, we had a we had a kid on our team this last year that 
during the summer, the, co the college coach heard our kid talking. She was communicating to the other players. That got that college coach's attention. So how about that? So yeah, that she didn't say anything about her shooting ability or her speed. I mean, it was yeah. great. Communicators wow. are rare. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, so there's valuable things yeah. that you can do that can really make you valuable with your teammates. So, uh, yeah, players need to be great teammates. They can be great teammates. Everybody is going to like that situation. That's going to make you a better team. And uh, they need to buy into their role that coach has them doing. And I think it's okay for coaches to have those meetings with those players. And that role can change. But uh, you had something about player meetings in there. We always had a player meeting at the end of the season. Then we had the one at the end of the school year, what you need to get better on during the summer. But then we had a lot of just individual one-minute player meetings during the year where we're on the gym floor and hey, Susie, come here just for a second. And uh here's what I here's what I think you can do a better job at, or here's what your strength is. And uh so you can do that in one minute right there on the court. If I ever took them in my office, I always had another coach with me, and that would be a we did a player questionnaire, Matt. Each yeah. year, we try to find out things about the kids, like uh, what's your biggest fear or who's your hero or what or if nobody knew this thing about you, what is it you'd like us to know about you and things like that where you can actually have a nice discussion and get to know the kids a little bit better. But, hey, it's, sometimes we don't have the time to meet in our office with coaches, other coaches. So those little 60-second meetings – those are just as important and you can do them throughout the year. And uh, every practice I tried when, even when I had 30 kids out there in practice, I tried to call everybody's name out during practice. So they knew that I, Hey, you know, Hey, Doreen, Hey, hey uh, Bunnetine. Remember that was Elvin Hayes, sister's name, Bunnetine. <laughs> hey, whatever your name is, I'm going to call your name out during practice. And so I want you to know that I'm thinking about you and you're important to what we're doing. And uh, so I try to do that every, and then 60 second meetings or man before or after practice are huge. Yeah. Coach, I just forgot that I was on a call with you. I felt like, <laughs> you know, it felt like I was at a TABC clinic and just, just, <laughs> just hearing. Uh, and I love, I like the, kind of the random nature that, that I think our, our talk had it just went different directions, but I mean, just the, uh, the, just the time to have with you like this is we're not done yet, but it, it's just incredible. Oh yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed it a lot. I love talking basketball and uh, I don't know a way to solve a lot of the world's problems, but man, hoops, I can help people solve problems yeah. <laughs> or create some too, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Coach, the speed round, these are going to be quick questions. The first thing that pops in your head. Okay. Favorite ice cream flavor? Butterfinger. Ooh. Vanilla ice cream. Butterfinger. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Greatest shooter of all time? Rick Mount. You never even heard of Rick, man. He played at Purdue back man. in the 60s. There's, there was another coach that said that. It said What's his that name. Up? 
Look okay. at that. And he was a, uh, I, my, he's from Indiana. Well, I grew up in Indiana, so I knew about Rick Mountain. He was the first player ever on the cover of Sports Illustrated, a high school player. And he played for Purdue, but we'd get all the Purdue games. He shot it off one leg. He shot it off both legs. And he was a great shooter. He, he was the same year as Pete Maravich and oh, Calvin, wow. Calvin Murphy. Those guys were the three best players in college basketball. That, well, I think a guy named Lou Alcindor was playing, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He is all right. He's all right. <laughs> but Rick Mount's the greatest shooter. Well, okay, this is a new question. What's your favorite one-liner to tell players? It's not about you. It's about the team. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, you, the best gym that you've ever played or coached in? Hmm. My favorite was probably the drum in Austin where the R-State turn was at every year. That was probably my favorite. But, uh, uh, gosh, I've been at so many gyms because I coached on a Class A level when I coached at Nazareth, and I've been at so many gyms uh, since then. Uh, you know, Pampa, Pampa has a little bit of history in boys' basketball. They won some state titles way back. They've got an old-time gym that I really like <laughs> has the beams in it, you know, <laughs> I really like going there to play games. So that's one that comes to mind. Now there's some newer little newer gyms, uh, uh, but I, I like kind of those old time gyms. No doubt. Yep. Texting or talking. Talking. This is an interesting one for high school shot clock or no shot clock. Yeah. That's interesting. Can I, Make it a longer answer. Oh, of course. Of course. I've been always extremely against the shot clock. And the reason was it gave the – it gives, to me, the team with the most talent is going to win yep. if there's a shot clock. But the, you might have the upset with the teams where there's no shot clock. Okay? Right. So I was just trying to give – when my thinking was it gives everybody a chance to – an outside chance to win – I, I think the, the inferior team is going to get blown out if there's a shot clock. Now, let me take that another direction. I, and I've been strongly opposed to it. I'm I'm a little I'm a, I'm getting a little more on board <laughs> because there's a there's a coaching thing that I'm not I haven't studied up on this. Maybe I will. I don't know if I was coaching with a shot clock. What would I, how would I change? Because you got to change. You got to do something so much quicker. Yeah. So I would uh, love that opportunity to study up on that and see what I would do in that situation. So early, 100% opposed. And now I'm 60 opposed, 40 and Okay. So Tom, much. Tommy Brackle, Tommy Brackle would love to hear that you're 60 40 now because he's been pushing <laughs> for that for years. But I completely agree with you. The The better teams will win more of the time. I do like the idea of the overall develop, player development that I think comes from it. So if, yeah. if I believe in individual skill work and all of my guys getting better, the deal with that, that shorter time period is that whatever action you're running, there's a really good chance that – it may break down and one of the five 
has the ball and has to make something happen. They have to all know how to play off of it, and they all need to know how to attack gaps with it. So I think from a skill point standpoint, I I see that. And it takes takes me and you out of the game a little bit more as coaches, which – Because, you know, back in my day as I grew up, the inferior teams a lot of times would hold the ball. So – Yep. Your skill development was just not turning it over. And that's right. I mean, the game, it's 10 to 8 at halftime. And so otherwise, you might have had me down by 25. And I yeah. I stayed in the game. Yeah. And so uh, that's what I'm saying. I think superior talent will win every one of those games. I, I mean, I make you could have a great shooting game, maybe make a lot of threes, you know, have that well, career game and beat me. Possessions, I, right? Like the yeah. the the better team yeah. wants more possessions. The exactly. inferior team wants less. You can't yes. control that as much with the shot clock. I do think too defensively, it would make the you'd be able to do some interesting things because the idea of uh kind of a Loyola Marymount idea, more of pressure. But when that sh- if you don't get a steal, when that shot clock dwindles down suck right back in you know the shots coming because when we were running and gunning and 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 almost a grinnell type style a few years ago teams teams started stalling on us coach in the second quarter and we were up 10 but they were just moving it around while we're scrambling and doing all this stuff to create the tempo and i in my head i'm thinking if there's a shot clock they couldn't be doing this right now, but but it's just like it does take maybe some of the strategy that those inferior teams could have or inferior talent could have. Oh, uh, back in uh, 2003, we won the uh, – it was mythical USA National Championship in high school basketball. And uh, <laughs> this guy, uh, he always – when we, we, we went to the – Nike had a national tournament at Christmas time. It was in Santa Barbara, California, and then it was in Phoenix. So we went three or four times, and uh, they paid for uh, – Wow. I had to pay for our airplane flights, but they paid for – the kids did have to – they paid for your – basically your room and board. It was a pretty good deal. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, uh, one year, it was not even my best team. We won the national championship because – we beat the number one. We got there, and right off the bat, we beat the number one team in the nation <laughs> out of, <laughs> out of uh, California. Uh, Linwood, I don't know. I can't remember. Somebody in Los Angeles, I think. We beat them the right second game. They had eight Division One players, and we had this team from <laughs> from Mayberry, you know, that uh, they called us Hoosiers because <laughs> we were slow and white, you know, yeah. and, you know non-athletic. But we took care of the ball. We didn't. We didn't. We didn't let the press bother us. And then we just were patient on offense. And we uh, we ended up losing to Christ the King in a close game. Christ the King had everybody going to Maryland, and we were uh, we lost to them in single, like seven or eight or nine points. Well, the very next week, Christ the King gets beat by another high big flute team at another tournament, I guess. And so we are thrust into the number one position. <laughs> and uh, so here we are. This, this It's not even my best team. 
Oh, they get mad at me when I tell them this. <laughs> uh, leave one out. I say, girls, if there's ever a time to win out, we're never going to have this opportunity again. We're never on the nation. Yeah. All we got to do is go undefeated the rest of the way. And uh, I said, let's take, let's go for it. Don't sweat it. Just enjoy the moment and let's yeah. go for this. And uh, sure enough, we uh, I think we had one close game there in the regional term that was a. But after that, we uh, <laughs> wow. we won the national championship with this team. <laughs> I'm sure they. Heck, but, when I, but I, you know, we. But uh, <laughs> I'm sure they love that part in your book where you mentioned it. Was, it. <laughs> it was. Uh, it was. You know, I don't know. Uh, now, one year we went to a tournament in California. They that national they played with the shot clock, and we only had one violation. But the ones in Arizona, I don't think it was the shot clock, if I remember right. So yeah. So if you wanted to hold it a little bit, you could. So, you know, Dean Smith had the famous four corners offense. Oh, you didn't want to, you didn't want him to go to that. No. Nope. It Phil Ford in the middle. <laughs> it was hard. Getting back into it, your favorite holiday. Christmas. All right, this is a good one. Up three on defense, seven seconds left. Do you foul or no foul? Great question. Uh, I used to have that thing of six seconds or less, I would foul. And uh, so let's say I foul. Yeah, six, seven is about the same. Yeah, so let's foul. Say I foul. yeah that's what I would. If we've worked on in practice. Yes. I yeah, think but... you have to practice fouling. Good call. How many times do you see that? And, and you're like, go for the ball. When a coach says you have to go for the ball, they have not practiced it. Oh, and then they <laughs> follow them on a three. Oh, yeah. yeah. You've seen that at the end of the yeah. game. You're down, you're up three, and you follow them on a three. It's yeah. the only thing. You said it. You said it. Teams can't beat themselves. And that yeah. is a situation so you where – You have to practice what you're going to do in that situation. Yep. And yep. so some of my teams – I didn't think they were capable of being able to not foul. So, but other teams did. So we, my thing would be if I had a team, I think they could understand it and do it correctly. We would foul. Yeah. What book besides your own would you give to someone? Uh, gosh, I've read a lot of books. I love everything that John Gordon writes that you've mentioned. Um, the energy bus. I mean, there was something we'd studied with our team. The one that stands out in my mind, though, is John Maxwell wrote a book that talent is never enough. Talent is never enough. I thought that was a really good book and uh, just thought the little things making a difference, you know. I, hey, I read a book. Have you read the book? Uh, it's called Legacy. The All Blacks. The All Blacks. Oh, that's a good one. Sweep the Shed. Well, that was one of the most recent ones that I, I read that earlier this summer. That has become a mantra in our for our team because this so – I don't like – we don't use the word culture a lot. Culture is who you are, how you do things, how you show up every day. But we do have some themes or words that – we live by and or we try to to live up to and one is excellence and a part so not perfection you've said it a bunch of times just being better today trying to 
and continuously improve a little bit. And so excellence is that to us. And but a big part of that is sweeping the shed. So that has been uh, uh, the guys at the end of the workouts are yelling that as a reminder to everybody to leave this place better. But that if anybody wants to know, I mean, really how to build a team and a culture, it's that book. Hey, uh, Tate had his first, let's see, we've been in school with three, three or four days. And the first day when we talked to the play, he talked to the players, he said, girls, you're going to sweep the shed. And that means everybody helps pick up the locker room because so many kids have, don't do that at home. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're not used to doing that. And, uh, well, the next two days, everybody's doing Everybody's sweeping the shed. And yeah. so right now, the locker room looks really good. <laughs> and then it's up to us to hold that standard. So That's when, right. we're, when we're doing some shooting games, and I warned them that I'm going to do this, I'm going to randomly, when it's a four-minute game or so, I'm going to walk into the locker room. And I'm going to grab stuff. We I love towel pushes. I think it's the greatest form of consequences of all time because if they go slow, it hurts. If they go fast, it hurts. And I don't have to watch them do it. I don't have to time them. It just, they just go do it. So I'll, I'll have the towels out. Sure enough, the other day, one of my seniors, he put his school shoes underneath his deal. They were out. So I walk out with the shoes. I set them down <laughs> and he comes up with his head down. I'm like, what happened, buddy? He's like, coach. I just didn't think you're going in today. <laughs> so I think it's the random checking. I think that's that's important. <laughs> oh, uh, I mean, I, there's things you're teaching the kids right there, you know, that aren't just for basketball. Yep, I got a couple more here, Coach, because this is a the one of the longest speed rounds I've ever had. But it's good stuff. It's good stuff. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, it's not bad in basketball. Who's the goat? Michael. Good answer. Good answer. Clutch. Uh, Just too clutch. Ooh, this is a new question. Name a bucket list item that you need to do. Oh, man. I went to the final four, so that was the one bucket list I had forever. Uh, Bucket list. Uh, Man. Coach, it seems like you've done a lot of cool stuff, the fact that you know, you're struggling to to, to answer. You've, you've lived a pretty good life. I'm pretty happy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I always thought when I was going to retire, I was going to travel around and watch everybody play. And so a bucket list would go to watch uh, Duke at Cameron or uh, Kansas, you know, watch them play in their home court. And so I'd probably still love to do something like that. Mm. Uh, but since I've been coaching, I'm volunteer coaching. I don't have a chance to opportunity to really do that. And uh, so, but I would say go to one of those places to watch a game. But, you know, maybe more than that, I want to go watch some of those guys practice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Watch I love to watch play. Tom Izzo. I love to watch a Michigan oh, State Izzo. practice. Yeah. Oh gosh, yeah, yeah, uh, man, I love that kind of stuff. Coach, one hour and fifty-five minutes of your time. 
This was incredible. And and I, hopefully for you, you felt like it flew by because that's how it felt for me. Feel free to cut any of that stuff out. <laughs> cut no out. way. I'm no sorry. way. <laughs> I'm, no, no, no. And please sorry. don't please don't apologize for that. Like I I I I want these talks to always go as long as possible. Yeah. I don't feel like there's ever a moment when you and I or it just kind of fell flat. It just we hit every question, but the way that it went was super cool Listen, to me. Yeah. Well, I, I just, uh, I, I definitely don't know it all. And I, I, uh, but I'm, I loved, I love coaching. I love the game, love working with young people. And, uh, and then you, you look back, so I, I think, I mean, I, I feel like this is a calling, uh, coaching can be a calling and, uh, and so answer the bell, just be who you are and uh, let God lead you. And I think some amazing things will happen that you'll be very rewarded. And uh, so marrying another coach and another teacher, it's been the greatest life. And I appreciate it a lot. Grateful for, you know, getting to do this sort of stuff. So I know guys like you that are 30 years old. Uh, have 40, 41, have, coach. 41. 41. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you look 30. Man, <laughs> thanks for that. Uh, I'll let my wife know that you said that. <laughs> but, but Coach, I, I do want to thank you um, for not just this time that I was able to have with you, because to me it's precious, but also for being faithful for 42-plus years and still still helping with the game and helping your son, and but just for what you've done for basketball and for so many – players lives and and just the impact that you've made um this was an absolute honor for me well thank you it's an honor for me and uh god bless you and i wish the best luck of all of our people that listen to this sorry it was so long it's a little bit like our book uh lots of things to talk about and uh and if anybody needs any help and uh don't feel free to i mean feel free to call me if you need a need some help What's the best place to where where can we find your book? Amazon. Okay. I I do have uh some copies at my house that are signed and stuff early. I've got a few left. I've got a um uh, talk at a Methodist men's group here uh in a couple of weeks. I'm gonna save some books for them, but uh it's on Amazon. Yeah. Coach, this was a blast, man. I really appreciate it. All right, thanks, man. Thanks for all you do. You make the basketball world better. Thank you. Thank you for checking out today's episode. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast, share it with your fellow coaches, and find us on social media for what's coming up next on the Jamoti Podcast. It's just a matter of doing it.